Secondly, to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And in this story, there is a statement, an actual question made by David that I want to focus on. If you were not here last Sunday... Christine, were you laughing at me, Christine? Where's Christine? Okay. Uh, last Sunday, we we uh, we made reference to the point that God God sees you where you are. God saw Israel in her in her wounds, that she had been birthed but she had not been bathed, that nobody applied any oil or any any fruit to her, and He saw her laying in the field in a pool of blood. And he went to her, and he bathed her, and he clothed her, and he fed her, and he blessed her. One thing about when God finds you, he will never leave you the way he found you. He will never leave you the way he found you. When Philip went to Nathaniel and said, hey, we have found the Messiah, we found the promised one. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when Nathaniel approached Jesus, Jesus called him by name. And it blew Nathaniel's mind. And Jesus said, I saw you over by the tree. And we're not sure what happened at the tree. We don't know if Nathaniel prayed. We don't know if Nathaniel had some kind of manifestation of God's touch or God's glory, saw something, heard something. But whatever happened by the tree, it so impacted Nathaniel's life. He had never heard Jesus preach. He'd never seen him operate in a miracle. Had just met him. But he looked at him and said, truly, you are the Messiah sent from God. There are things that will happen in your life that God will remind you of that only God could have touched. Only God could have, only God could have put, a, put his hand on. Only God could have blessed. And I'm just believing this morning that God knows where you are. He knows where you are. And God is not going to leave you the way that he found you. It, David is going to ask a question to a, to a brother that's trying to cause some challenges. But David asked a question, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I, I append the words, a question, I guess, to everyone in this building this morning and those listening by podcast. Can you make a difference? Can one man make a difference? When I think of the music world, I think of men such as Bach or, or Beethoven or more recent John Lennon or Freddie Mercury or Robert Plant or Bruno Mars or Mick Jagger or Elvis Presley. And I realized they were just one man. They, 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 they operated by themselves, but how they affected the music that we listen to today, not just in our stores and our cars, but in our elevators, that every area of our life is affected by the music of one of these men. Then I think about Hollywood. I think about Lucille Ball. I think about Jerry Lewis. I think about Abbott Costello. I think about Jack Bauer, known as Kiever Sutherland. I think about Kurt Douglas. I think about Jim Caviezel. I think about all these guys, just, just one man, but how in Hollywood they made such a difference. I think about inventors. And thank God for Graham Bell. Thank God for Thomas Edison. Thank God for Louis Pasteur, who created the vaccination process. George Washington Carver found a hundred different uses for peanut butter. Now, I only have about three uses, but there's a whole bunch more out there. And you think about these single men making a difference. I think about the presidents that, that have served our country. I think about George Washington and his integrity. I think about Abraham Lincoln, the price that he paid. Teddy Roosevelt, John Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, George Bush. 
great men that God raised up, but just just men. Look at somebody and say, just men. And then I think and then I think about preachers as we look at Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, William Branham, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, Billy Graham, Billy Burke, just a single man, but the difference they have made in our lives. I got a, I've got a note here I want to share from this um, this book by Charles Swindoll. I, I collect all these books for Pastor Rhonda and write something nice in the front of them, and then every once in a while I get them out and remember what I wrote so that I would act like that. But there's a, there's a chapter here that, that makes a statement concerning the significant impact of only one. The significant impact of only one. Let me give you some statistics. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German one vote. In 1839, one vote elected Marcus Morton governor of Massachusetts. In, one, in 1868, in 1845, one vote brought Texas, hello, into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. And in 1876, one vote one vote, guys, gave Rutherford B. Hayes the United States presidency. 1923, one vote. Look at somebody say one vote. Gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. And in 1941, one vote saved the Secret Service just 12 weeks before Pearl Harbor. Just one vote. The Word of God declares that God walks the circuit of earth looking for one person to bless, one person to touch. There's a story about anybody, somebody, everybody, and nobody. Something could have been done. Anybody could have had a part. Everybody should have been involved. Somebody got mad because nobody did what everybody could have done. Did I lose you in that? I didn't. Pastor Ron, you stay right there with me. I guess the point that I'm making is that no matter how little or how least you feel, God has the ability to use you. Look at somebody and say, God has the ability to use me. Do you really believe that? There's an illustration that I have shared several times. Uh, the guy actually wrote a book. Uh, this guy was kind of dried up. He hadn't written anything in a while. He was under contract by a, by a, uh, a book company. He had to write a certain amount of books a year. And he was, he was just, he was, he was burnt out. He was dry. He had nothing to write. So he took some time and went to the beach. And one morning he got up early and he's walking on the shore only to find that a wave had washed in thousands of starfish, hundreds of thousands of, almost an unbelievable amount of starfish. And there was a 10-year-old boy in a stack of all these starfish, and he was picking these starfish up one at a time and tossing them back into the ocean. And the man watched the boy for a few minutes, and then he said to the boy, he said, you know, what you're, what, what you're, do, what you're doing doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter. There's, so, there's such an overwhelming amount of starfish, and you're just a little boy. You're, you're never going to accomplish your task. And the little boy had a starfish in his hand, and he looked at the gentleman and said, it matters to this one. It matters to this one. See, who knows how God is going to use you to matter just to one person? The prayers of a grandma, the standard of a dad. 
We talked about parenting earlier this week, and I said, you know, I, I have when I get to heaven, I have no no visions of grandeur. I have no desire to be presented any awards for any books I may have written or any sermons I may have preached. I want to be rewarded when I get to heaven. That Pastor Ron is on my right. Courtney and Christine are on my left that my family made heaven their home because I lived a life of example I lived a life of standard that I sacrificed and went without so my kids could be in church every time the door opened that my kids could have all the Christian music all the all the tools everything to help them grow and help bless them that is my goal I don't I don't I don't I don't have any goals of of living next door to to uh, to uh, David or, or 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 any great man or woman of God I just want to have have a little log cabin about five acre lake full of bass that I can go fishing time I want and catch one so big I don't have to lie every time I tell it uh, you'll get that in about 20 20 minutes from now look, look if you will at first first Samuel 17 chapter most of you know the story of David but there may be some things that you don't know about David that I need to tell you first of all you need to know that David was anointed king before he was a warrior. In the 16th chapter of Samuel, Samuel comes to Jesse's house. Jesse lines out his sons. God told Samuel from the house of Jesse, the next king of Israel is going to be raised up. Everyone that Samuel looked at, the Bible says, God looks on the heart, man looks on the outward. There was nothing about the sons of Jesse that got the attention of Samuel. And Samuel looked at mom and dad knowing that he had a clear word from God. Listen, when you know you have a clear word from God, keep pressing in. Don't back off. Knowing, he had a, knowing that he had a, a clear word from God, he asked mom and dad, are these all your sons? And they said, oh, wait a minute. The baby, the baby's out in the field taking care of a bunch of sheep. Go get the baby. They brought the baby, and David was the one that was anointed to be king of Israel. Guess what? He didn't become king that next day. He went back to the sheep. And while he was taking care, and, you know, it's not really difficult to take care of sheep. All they do is eat and the other thing. And you just try to keep them in a, in a place where they can't fall or get hurt. I mean, they're really stupid. Uh, Pastor Connie has some sheep, and when we go out to her house to, uh, or she has some goats go out to her house to, to hunt, I get in the truck and I chase the goats. And there's a goat there, and Brian, tell me if I'm lying. There's a goat there that when you chase him, Bailey, am I telling the truth? This goat falls, this goat just, it falls, it falls down. It freaks out. It completely, I mean, it is so cool. And Christine gets so mad. Dad, don't chase the goats. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase the goat till it falls down. I mean, sheep are really stupid, but they're really easy to take care of. You make sure they got food. You make sure they got water. Make sure there's a hedge around them in the night. They're, they're, they're fine. So while David was wasting pretty much his time taking care of the sheep there was two things he was doing that i want you to pay attention to number one he had perfected the sling je he was so good i believe he lined rocks up and i believe he took that sling and i believe he he slung it and i believe he could hit every one of those rocks i don't know if you've ever gone out targets practicing with the pistol and put cans up and then you shoot at the cans and hopefully you hit one of them yesterday i took the kids out to the woods and let him shoot the pistol. And Jeff, Jeff, you hit the trash can. Oh, by the way, that was Jeff that shot your trash can all full of holes. And then, and then Buford shoots it six times. He shoots a smiley face in the, am I lying? 
Houston, I shoot the trash can five times and miss it. Today, I'm going to go point blank. I'm going to walk up to that trash can and hit it. But David was so, David was so good, and he just, did, he just didn't practice standing still. I, I, really, I really miss the trash can. I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm revealing something to you. I'm trying to be humble here. I really miss I can't believe I missed the trash can. I just can't. Buford thought I was playing with him, didn't he? thought I was setting him up for a bet or something. Anyway, David was so good that he just stands still and do the slingshot. He would run and do the slingshot. He would run towards the target. He got so good at that slingshot that when it came time to battle, he didn't want the king's weapons. He didn't want the king's armor. He said, you know what? I've been here before. There was a lion that roared against the flock. I killed him. There was a bear that roared against the flock. I killed him. Let me do it the way I know how to do it because he had practiced. There's something about practice that makes perfect only if you practice perfectly. My golf instructor told me that I had perfected my mistakes. I did it wrong every time. That did not make me feel very good, but that's what he said. He said, you have perfected your mistake. You do it every time you do it, you do it wrong. And so he began to show me how to do it right. But David was so good with that sling, he had confidence in that sling. Not only did he have confidence in the fact that he could defeat Goliath, but he did some research. It's important that you research your enemy. It's important you know what your enemy can or cannot do. Wednesday nights we talk about the accuser of the brethren. And no matter how big and bad this wolf appears to be, he cannot blow your barn down. He cannot blow your house down. He can only affect you three ways. He can tempt you, he can accuse you, and he can deceive you. Those are the only three methods that he has to bring hurt against you. David was so researched in the enemy that he took on, he learned that Goliath had four brothers. Thence the reason for five stones. Well, someone said, well, that represents the apostle, prophet, teacher. And I guess Perry Stone could probably preach that and get away with it. But I think he knew if I mess with Goliath, I'm messing with the whole family. And if I'm ready to take on Goliath, I better be ready to take on everything that's attached to him. And let me tell you something. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. If God, ta- if God calls you to take on something and you do and something else raises up against you, I promise you the same God that walked you through that promise is the same God that will walk you through the next promise. Someone say amen in this house if you will just an just an insignificant shepherd boy but remember je he was anointed king before he was a warrior the second thing that you need to realize is that david was a worshiper before he was a warrior before there was a goliath king saul out of disobedience king saul stirred up idolatry and rebellion and we know that to be stubbornness and witchcraft He'd been messing in the wrong area, disobeyed God. He was a messed up puppy. He was at a place where demonic spirits would come and they would manipulate him. And he was so angry, so jealous that he would take his javelin and try to kill anybody that would would threaten him. The Bible says that the, the king sent for David. And while Saul was going through this tormented stage, David began to play that harp. And he played that harp so well that the demon spirits had to flee. I believe that we can prophesy on these instruments to such a degree that demonic entities will have to flee. I believe that healing can come through music. I think that hope can come through music. I think that encouragement can come through music. I think we can play to such a fact that any area of your life that the enemy comes against... The enemy has to flee because he cannot stay around anointed music. I need someone to say praise the Lord in this house. God is faithful. So this insignificant shepherd boy learns that his brothers, all six of his brothers are in battle. 
And dad calls him in and says, I want you to take some bread and cheese to the battlefield. And you know what? That may not sound like it was that important, but David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to live in the tent of the wealthy. Are you understanding that whatever purpose God gives you, it may seem to be insignificant, but God is simply preparing you for promotion. David willingly took the cheese to battle. When he got there, he, he, he saw what everybody else saw. There was a giant of a man. He was shouting out accusations against God's people. And when the, when the giant roared, everybody ran, including David. Listen, it's easy caught him in what's going around you. It's easy to be so, so afraid of, the, of, of the, the economy that you don't tithe. It's, 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 it's scary sometimes to put a little extra in the offering, knowing how tight things are. We are creatures of habit, and usually what is happening around us, it seems to be contagious. So when David went, saw the Goliath, when everybody ran, he ran. But then all of a sudden, David realized this uncircumcised Philistine is coming against the very name, the very authority of God Almighty. There's got to be somebody that's not afraid to stand up and, 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 and do something about it. Is there not a cause? Can I tell you, church, there is a cause. The number two tricks of the enemy in the last days is twofold, and I believe we're living it. The number one trick of the enemy in the last days is to wear out the saints of the Most High God. Where are you out in your confession? Where you're out in your declaration? Where where you out in your faithfulness? What used to work doesn't work anymore. What you used to have you don't have anymore. It seems like there's pressure in every single area of your life. No matter where you turn, there's stress. No matter where you turn, there, there's there's some kind of complication. There's and it goes from one to one to one. We're ministering to a family right now. Be careful what I say. But the past three months, there have been eight storms come against this family. And, 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 the, and the last storm was a real bad storm. And, of course, we're trying to, to, to gently minister because they're not asking us what's, what's wrong. They're just asking us for help. If they would allow me, I would say the call of God is so strong upon you that God is not going to let you live the rest of your life aimlessly. God is doing things to bring you back to his presence, to depend upon him, to call upon God. A lot of times when we think that things are going bad and it's the devil, it has absolutely nothing to do with the devil. When Elijah was pouting and, 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 and depressed and everything he was going through, God allowed the gourd to dry up. God stopped letting the raven bring the food so that Elijah would get up and go do something. So if there's things going in your life that are uncomfortable, it very, could, it very well could be the hand of God trying to move on your behalf. David said, is there not a cause? And he began to research this, and he, he learned. I want to tell you something. You can't do anything because of man's reward, because man will always let you down. Angelia said, what happens to the guy that takes out Goliath? And here's what the Bible says. He'll get a chunk of the wealth of the kingdom. He'll get a princess, and his family will never have to pay taxes again. How many knew that? Three things. You'll never have to pay, your family will never have to pay taxes again. You're exempt. You get to marry a princess, and you get a chunk of the king's money. Well, let me tell you something. David said, you know what? I've seen that princess. She's pretty good looking. And I'm tired of being a poor shepherd boy. I wouldn't mind some prosperity, and I will be the hero of my six brothers if I tell my dad, you never have to pay taxes again. Come on. 
Now, what motivated him to take on the enemy may have been the wrong motivation, and, and that happens a lot of times in life. We think if we do this, we're going to get that. How many can relate? We think if we do this, we're, and, and then you look, look back and say, well, I, I generated all that energy. I, I generated all that effort and got nothing. No, because you don't know how God's going to watch that seed and watch it roll over and watch it turn. 2005, I spoke a prophetic word. The best of the word just took place the past few months. You never know what God's up to. You never know what God is saying, what God is doing. So David said, David said, I'll take him on. Now, I want to bring attention to 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to take the time, if you don't mind, to turn there. might help if we are preaching the Word of God. might help turn to it and read it. Somebody say amen. 1 Samuel 17. Going to church without your Bible is like eating spaghetti without a fork. You get a lot on you, but you don't get a lot in you. Come on, someone say amen. amen. Uh, I've never seen this before, Pastor Jeff, and I believe... Every preacher has probably preached out of this passage of Scripture dozens of times. Very familiar passage of Scripture. But notice, if you will, the very first verse. Now the Philistines gathered their army together to battle and were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to who? Judah. What was Judah? The land of praise. The place of praise. Notice this. The enemy had camped in Judah. And guess what the enemy did not want Judah doing? The enemy did not want Judah praising. Judah had no reason to praise. The enemy was camped in their backyard. They were uncircumcised. That word simply means that in the Old Testament, you don't hear a lot about this, but there were some major issues with STD. There's some major issues with sexual sins of a nation. And the Philistines were, they were, they were, they, were, they were vivid with these sexual sins. They were vivid with STD. All, all the things concerning circumcision, the uncleanness. They were a nation that walked in debauchery and shame and, and failure. And they were living in Judah. Ever felt like that no matter how you try to praise God, it's like there's, a, there's like ceilings of brass and walls of iron. It's like it seemed like my praise is going no farther than here to this. Anybody ever feel that way? That's far enough because the God you serve lives in your heart. And if it comes from your heart and you make an effort to praise, God will honor and God will bless. But a lot of times in our life, we lose our praise or we get intimidated that our praise is too wild, too crazy. People are watching. People are talking. Well, you can't live like that all the time. I disagree. I believe there's an area of praise that you can live in. I remember a story of, uh, of a church on the wrong side of the tracks. And uh, this church was rocking. It was a full-blown Pentecostal charismatic. I mean, they shouted. They ran the pews. They danced. They did. They, they loved God. And there was a young lady going to the particular church that she began to date this young man by the name of Lorenzo. Now, Lorenzo was the banker's son, kind of affluent, nice-looking guy, great kid, went to a Methodist church. So as they're dating, and they actually things start to get serious, and this is in the back hills of Kentucky years and years ago. They started dating, started getting serious. Lorenzo one day told his little girlfriend, he, he said, you know what? Ever since we've been dating, I've been wanting to come to your church. I heard about your church. I heard about everything going on, all the, all the things that happened. And you know what? Tonight, I'm going to pick you up in the horse and buggy, and I'm going to your church. She immediately freaked out. I mean, immediately, because Lorenzo 
went to a Methodist church. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Methodists, but they simply have a method to their worship, which is pretty calm, pretty docile, and pretty harmless. And she realized, my church is so crazy, it's so out there, I'm going to freak Lorenzo out. So she went home, and she approached her mom. And she said, Mom, I need to talk to you. Lorenzo and I were getting serious, and Lorenzo wants to come to church tonight. Now, Mom, you know how you are. Let me tell you about Mom. Mom was five foot one, weighed 300 pounds, and when Mom loved God, all of Mom loved God. I mean, Mom would stand out and run towards the back of the building. Well, let me tell you about the back of the building. This church had a revival, and they added about 50 members, and instead of adding on to the church correctly, they just simply knocked the back wall of the church out, but the church was right on a creek bed, right on a stream, so they put posts in the stream, they built a section of the church over the stream, and getting everything done by Sunday morning, they didn't build it as secure as they should have. And it was one of those churches that literally rocked. When you got to shouting, the house would literally rock. And the mom said, well, baby, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to put a lid on it, but you better call your Aunt Sally. Well, let me tell you about Aunt Sally. Mama and Aunt Sally were twins. And Aunt Sally was five foot one. She weighed 300 pounds, and she loved God with all her might. And all their life, they've been in competition, even in church. When God began to move, the organ got to playing. Mama would head down one aisle, head towards the back. Aunt Sally would head down the other aisle. And when 600 pounds of Holy Ghost-filled women got to the back of a church that wasn't very secure, you better pray in faith. You better touch God. You better claim the promises of God. That song, Shall We Gather at the River, they never sang that song. That was a negative confession. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, throughout the church body, the word began to spread. Lorenzo, the banker's son, is coming to our church tonight. Well, the pastor heard about it. He'd been wanting to borrow some money, and he thought this would be a good chance for Lorenzo to meet the church and maybe go talk to his dad about a loan. So the pastor got out one of the most dry, boring sermons he'd ever preached but it had some cool words in it and he wanted to impress Lorenzo well the choir director heard that Lorenzo was coming and instead of just letting God loose they got those old Easter cantata songs you know the ones that have 18 keys and chords you never can sing it on on key I'm I, I mean it was a it was a dumb silly song selection so sure enough Lorenzo picks up his little girlfriend in the horse and buggy and they head to church and sure enough, the choir director gets up and sings, and it's deader than 4 o'clock in the morning. The pastor gets up and preaches some dead, dry, burnout sermon, gives an altar call, nothing happens. But the pastor decides that he's going to call Sister Emily to close in prayer. Now, let me tell you about Sister Emily. She was about 91, 4 foot 11, and weighed about 91 pounds. But she was a woman that loved God. And instead of standing there closing in prayer, she got up, hobbled, made her way to the platform, grabbed a hold of that, that pulpit, looked up and said, Father, in a case he was hard to hear, she said it again, Father, now Father, I'm getting old, and I'll be dead before too long, and I came here tonight to feel your presence. But Father, to be honest with you, 
I don't feel nothing, thanks to the choir director and the pastor, but Father, I just wanted you to know that before I leave this house, I wanted to tell you how much I love you. And that little skinny old lady let go of that pulpit and lift those hands and begin to shout and begin to pray, and all of a sudden, God came down. The power of God began to move. Mama headed down one wall, and Sally headed down the other. The choir director started doing the chicken peck. Bobby pins going like missiles all over. Someone fell on the hardwood stove. God was shouting. God was moving several hours later on the road home in the horse and buggy several minutes Lorenzo didn't say a word then finally he looked at his fiance to be and said let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something I want to say something about your church he said you better not say anything better about my church now I, I won't like that he said oh no 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 he said all my life I've heard that you Pentecostals were different all my life I heard that you charismatics were different all my life I've heard that you prayed the power down all my life I've heard there have been miracles and things happening in this church I've always wanted to attend but peer pressure would never let me come when I started dating you I said this is my opportunity to see God in a different way he said but to be honest with you at first I was very very disappointed your church is just like my church you sing the same songs we sing your pastor preached the same sermon I've heard over and over again. And he said, I wasn't impressed. He said, when that little lady began to pray, he said, I felt something I've never felt before. He said, matter of fact, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And she said, right now? She said, right. She said, we're on a date. He said, I don't care. I want the Holy Ghost. About that time, coming down the road in a custom-made buggy was Mama and Aunt Sally with two mules pulling the buggy. Mama gets out of the bug and said, what's going on here? She said, Mama, Lorenzo wants to get filled with the Holy Ghost. She said, right now? She said, yeah, Mama, right now. So Aunt Sally got on one side of that buggy, and Mama, they couldn't get in it, but they got on the other side, and they began to pray, and right there in the back hills of Kentucky, Lorenzo, the baker's son, was filled with the Holy Ghost and later went on to pastor one of the strongest assembly of God in the state of Kentucky. I'm telling you what, you've got a song, you've got a praise, you've got a shout. You need to get it back. You need to manifest it. You need to use it. You never know who you're going to set free. You never know. I went through the word of God, Pastor Jeff, if you'll help me. I went through the word of God and I just began to just take some notes and begin to ask some questions. Wouldn't you like to ask Noah, Noah, is there a cause? Can you imagine how stupid it was to build a boat 300 foot long? To have the attitude, you're going to house every single animal of the world. Noah, was there a cause? Elijah. Elijah, is there a cause to soak your sacrifice to such a degree that there's no way fire could fall, yet the fire fell? What about Daniel? Daniel, was prayer so important that you risk your life thrown in the lion's den and God shut the mouth of the lions? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is there not a cause? that you would not bow to the graven image, that you would risk the fiery furnace, and you not only would walk with God, but you would come out not even smelling like smoke. What about Gideon? Gideon, was there not a cause when the angel came to you and said, you're a mighty man of valor? And Gideon said, if I'm such a mighty man of valor, then why aren't I seeing any miracles that my dad talked about? Let me tell you something. God worked a miracle that day. Took 30,000 men numbered to 300 and they took on an army of millions and defeated them was there not a cause I think about Samson 
Samson, was there not a cause on that last day of your life when you asked that little boy to put you in those two pillars and that day you destroyed more of the enemy in one day than you had in your entire life? Was there not a cause? And Esther, was it really worth it to take the risk to go in the king's presence knowing the last queen the king had banished, that, that he could have banished you, he could have, he could have assassinated you? Was it really worth it to go in his presence and ask for, the, for the, 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 the prayers of your people to be answered? Was there not a cause? I think about Isaiah. Isaiah, was it really worth it to lay down your entire life, live your whole life for the glory of God, be sawed in two by, a, by, a, by an assassin, but yet you prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bring forth the son, and his name we call Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Nehemiah, was it worth it? Was there a cause that you risked your job and you stood before your king and he saw your countenance was sad and he said, what's wrong? And you told him and his father was the one that trashed the city of Jerusalem. Was there not a cause when you asked him to go and rebuild that wall? Moses, was it worth it to come out of the wilderness away from the burning bush to stand before Pharaoh and let my people go? Was there not a cause when you brought three million people out of bondage into the land of provision. And what about Joshua? Joshua wasn't worth it the entire time you served Moses. You never said one bad word about him. And you were the one the captain of the Lord's host appeared to. Was there not a cause? Caleb, 80 years of age. You said, 40 years ago, I wanted the mountain. I feel better today than I felt 40 years ago. Give me my mountain. Was there not a cause? How about you, Jonah? running from God in the wrong direction in the belly of a whale. You cried out to God and you saw a nation repent and turn back to God. Was there not a cause? And Ruth, what about you? Left the land of your father, cleaved to Naomi, made, 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 made a wife to Boaz, birthed the Messiah, the lineage of the Messiah. Was there not a cause? What about Abigail? Abigail, you interceded for a husband that was an idiot. Later he was murdered. But the king saw you and brought you into his palace and you became a queen. Was there not a cause? And how about Hannah? Hannah, was it really worth it going to the altar time and time again, asking God for a son and then praying under your, under your breath in such a way the priest thought that you were drunk? Was there a cause when you gave Samuel back to God? And what about Samuel? Samuel was not a cause when you walked into your, your mentor and you told him that his life was out of order, his sons were going to die, and you shared a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, and no one heeded, but you continued to prophesy until you died. Was there not a cause? And what about Job? Job, all the bad things in your life, all the things that happened, you could have blamed God, but you said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Was there not a cause, and did you not receive double from the Lord's hand? And what about Jehoshaphat? Jehoshaphat, when armies were coming in three different directions and you were overwhelmed and you were outnumbered and you called the camp to a time of fast and a time of prayer and the prophecy went forward, believe the Lord your God, so shall you prosper, so shall you be established. Was there not a cause when God took his hand and flattened the arm of the enemy? And what about John the Baptist? Was it worth it day after day of your life to go into the wilderness and preach the gospel? Was it worth it being beheaded over some kind of a lustful dance? Was there not a cause? Were you not the forerunner that introduced Jesus to the world? And what about Mary? 15 years old, a virgin maiden, knowing that if she accepted what the Holy Spirit offered, that her whole life people would talk bad about her. 
Mary, was there not a cause when you birthed the Messiah and brought him into the world? And what about Paul, who was beaten, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, took care of all the churches, all the complaints, all the things taking place. Paul, was it worth it to lay your head on that that chopping block and allow that sword to separate your head from your body history says that you were praying in tongues when that head left your body and when that head hit the bucket you were still moving your mouth in tongues was there not a cause and what about Peter Peter you who doubted and you that tried to cut the servant's head off and you just got his ear Peter you who walked on water when it came time to die you said I'm not worthy to be crucified like him I'll be crucified upside down was there not a cause and how about the woman with the alabaster box how about the one that dared to go in the presence of Jesus and wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and take her life savings and break that box and anoint him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet was there not a cause that Jesus said what you did from this day forward people will talk about you a hundred years from now two thousand years from now we're still talking about you was there not a cause and what about Priscilla and Aquina Paul said you're addicted to the gospel you're forsaken all the things of life all the promotions of life and you're addicted to the very word that Jesus laid down his life and gave us was there not a cause yes yes a hundred yeses to every one of those questions this morning there was a cause May I tell you today, there is a cause for you to be upon this earth. There's something you can do that no one else can do. There are doors that God's going to open for you. He will open for no one else. There are missions that you will accomplish. There are giants that you will defeat. There are lions that you will maim. There are bears that you will decapitate. You will be used by God if you make up your mind. There is a cause. There is a reason. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than anything else Pastor Ron has shared Wednesday night and we don't quote it because the first half of the scripture is exciting but the second half is not the word declares in the last days two things are going to be our protection and our armor the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb Shannon are you here she coming in You'll never know how powerful your testimony is until later in life you see someone who is impacted by your story. Phone call I received last night said, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot get off of oxy, oxy by myself. I cannot do it by myself. But I know with your help, I can do it. You'll never know how your light will shine when you're in a scenario. Several months ago, I arrived at the church to be told that there was a man out in the garden that wanted food. At that time, we had, Angela, we had plenty of food. I, I went to get the key. And the gentleman said, I don't, I don't want food. I have to cook. I want to go to a restaurant. So I took him and his wife to, to Denny's and sat them down and told them to get whatever they wanted. I went to tell the waitress that I was going to pay for the food and I was going to leave a tip. While I was talking with her, this gentleman came up to me and said, I need some money. 
I said, sir, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have any money. The church does not give money out. We've got our own needs, own families to take care of. I cannot give any money. And with a disgusted look on his face, turned without saying thank you, turned without any, any effort of appreciation. And I don't know how two people did it, but the bill was almost $50. It was like to spite me, they ordered everything on the menu. But you know what? I didn't do it for them. I did it because somebody was hungry. And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. When I went to pay, I left a very good tip. I looked at the, I wasn't paying attention and the hostess was crying. I said, what's the matter? She said, I saw what you just did. I said, what did I do? She said, I saw how he treated you. I saw what you just did. I just saw that. She said, I've been living here. I don't know how many years. I've never really seen a true Christian do anything like that. I said, well, I'm not a true Christian, but I'm trying to be. You don't know how people are watching your life. And there's a place that God wants you to, to, ta to tap into with his help and strength. But you know what? God told Peter, Peter, you know what it's going to cost? It's going to cost everything. It's going to cost everything. You, with, you will withhold nothing. You'll have no savings. You'll, ha you'll, you'll, you'll have nothing. It, you will lose your life. You and your wife will be crucified upside down. Are you sure you want to follow me? Are you sure you're willing to step into the next level? Oh, you've seen the miracles. You saw the cross. You saw the resurrection. But are you sure you want to step into an area of persecution and pressure and frustration and hurt and pain? Who knows what would have happened if, if Peter had not accepted? Who knows what would have happened if Peter hadn't written the two beautiful letters they wrote talking about inheritance undefiled reserved in heaven for us? There's a voice called calling me from an old rug help me Jeff tree and it whispers draw closer to me leave this world far behind there are new heights to climb and a new place in me you will find help me Shannon then whatever it takes to draw closer to you can you say that this morning that's what I'll be willing to do Ron to sing it. Then whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Are you sure that's what you're willing to do? I'll trade sunshine for rain comfort for pain that's not the great American way that's what I'll be willing to do 
lift our hands. Then whatever it takes for my will to praise, that's what I'll be willing to do. What does God want from you? I give the dearest things to me. If that's how it should be For I'm placing my whole life Can you say that this morning? In your hands Listen to this, the net that wants to go to China And if you call me today To a land far away What are you willing to trade? Are you sure you're willing to trade this? I'll trade sunshine for rain. Comfort. Can we stand this morning? All this house. Is there not a cause? Sure there is. There's a life that only I can touch. 